You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Exodus chapter 9, before we get to verse 1. It is interesting in the book of Exodus, the transition from the book of Genesis to Exodus. Genesis is about creation. Exodus is about redemption. So the title of the message tonight is From Creation to Redemption. I gave a little acronym, C2R. Okay, so if you're into acronyms, C2R, right? Creation to Redemption. And if you think about just that title, that's our life. We've been created, but we just haven't been created. We've been created to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. You've been born, that's good. But the the goal is to be born again. The goal is to walk hand in hand with Jesus Christ. And so we see a perfect transition from the creation to now the redemption. And we see this in the book of Exodus. The themes that we're going to see tonight, hopefully, is the deception that leads to devastation. Okay, this is referring to the king, to Pharaoh. The Pharaoh has been deceived, and that deception will lead to destruction in his own life and in the life of the country of Egypt. And that can happen to us as Christians. We can be deceived, and if we don't confess that sin or if that doesn't come to light, it will lead to destruction. And we'll see that in this chapter. Another theme we see is repentance leads to freedom. One of the things I learned a long time ago that has always helped is everything, every good work that God has, everything begins with repentance. If there's sin in your life, if there's things holding you back, if you're not walking with the Lord strong, then you repent and you begin to walk. God loves a person who is honest. God loves honesty. If you can't be honest with God, then I believe he's going to have a hard time using your life. You have to be honest with him. So when God confronts you with something in your life, you're stubborn. You go, well, I'm stubborn, yeah, but you see, my dad was stubborn, my grandpa was stubborn, it kind of runs in our family. No, God would rather hear, you know what, I am stubborn. Lord, help me. I've been this way for a long time. More than one people tell me, I'm stubborn, I'm stiff-necked, I have a hard heart. God, I'm a sinner, help me. I believe that God loves to hear that prayer. So don't hold back when you pray. Be honest about everything in your life. And let God be the one who teaches you and molds you. One more theme is that Israel learns of the mighty power of God. And the importance of national worship. And we're going to see that. The summary of the book of Exodus is a record of Israel's birth of a nation. And the Jewish, there were 70 Jewish people from Uh, the land that came to Egypt, right, because of a famine at the end of the book of Genesis. Well, those 70 people, they turn into 2 million. 400 years later, there's there's 2 million um, Hebrew people. It's the birth of a nation, but they're in slavery. God sees it. God sees it for 400 years. He sees that slavery. But now on God's calendar, it's time for God to bring a savior. It's time for God to bring redemption. And now we see this in this book of Exodus. The Pharaoh's heart was hard and, hard and was stubborn. So what God will do, and what God's been doing in the book of Exodus, is that he sends a series of plagues. 
He sends a series of plagues. He begins turning water into blood. Then he sends a plague of frogs, kind of a strange plague. I'm going to get you because you've been stubborn to me and rebellious, so I'm going to send frogs, right? But if you were in high school uh, last week, you would have heard that every plague that was brought was for a purpose. So for whatever reasons, the Egyptians, they worshipped like a frog god. It was a woman's body with the head of a frog. And they believed that they received power from that. And they would worship the frog, and they believed they received creative power. So when God sends the plague of frogs, he says, well, if you're going to worship the, the frog god, then guess what? I'm going to give you frogs. Try to worship them. And the Bible says that they came into every part of their room, every part of their house, even in their bed. There was frogs everywhere to the point where they were so sick of frogs. And God is challenging them, saying, if you worship the frog god, then maybe he'll do something about it. We see in Exodus the birth of Moses. In chapters 1 to 2, we see Moses is called by God in chapters 3 to 6. And then we see here in chapter 9, there's a conflict with Pharaoh. So one of the background of this is the gods of Egypt versus the gods of Israel. Now there are some people, some guys, maybe a few women, who like um, a good boxing match or an MMA fight. Not everybody's into that, um, but... There are a few people in this church that enjoy that. I won't name any names. Um, and so a good MMA fight. This is, an MMA, this is supposed to be like an MMA fight. The Egyptian gods versus the Jewish god. And, and he'll take on all the Egyptian gods versus the Hebrew god, Jehovah. And God is challenging them right to the Egyptian's face, right to the king's face. I'm challenging you. And I love it when God challenges us and when God challenges the enemy. So, let's get into verse 1, and we'll see how far we get through the chapter, but we'll let God lead on that. Verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. So here we see a simple request Verse 1 is very simple. The Lord speaks to Moses. Moses is obedient. He's been obedient. He goes into Pharaoh and tells him, the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. This is not the first time Moses confronts the king. But it's interesting that says, for what reason? Let my people go. Why? That they might serve me. Very simple truth. God desires that we serve him. This word for serve is a word, a Hebrew word called ebad, to work, to serve. If you're, if you're older here, you'll understand this word, to till the ground. If you're a teenager, you probably don't know what that means. To till the ground, to work, to serve. It also means to worship. So God's desire is that they be taken out of slavery, go into the desert, go toward the promised land, and then live a life that is of service to the Lord. One of the reasons I believe I'm in ministry is just because it's a simple reason. It's not something, you know, too um, difficult to understand is my kids. I I love my children, and I want to be around them, and I want to try to be a blessing to them, and I want to make church fun, right? I guess that would be, probably wouldn't be a good slogan, make church fun again, Uh, 
right? I want to make church enjoyable for my kids. And whatever I can do for them to enjoy that, I want to be a part of that. I'm a, I guess maybe there was a little bit of fear when they were little that they might come home and say, Dad, I don't want to go to church anymore. It's boring. You know, it can happen. Probably happened to me growing up at times. And so we, we look for ways to serve. We look for ways to be a blessing to other people and to serve the Lord. Now in verse 2, he continues and says, For if you refuse to let them go and still hold on to them, there's a consequence. Verse 3, Behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on your horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. So we see God's plan here in this particular plague. This is the fifth plague, and it's a plague that's going to attack their livestock. Now, their livestock was their livelihood. This was their, the horses, the oxen, the cows. This fed them. Um, they got their dairy products from them. This was their working animals. Um, we, as you guys know, some of us were able to go to India. And one of the amazing things in India is you'll see animals huge animals, Brahmas or bulls or whatever they are, horns, and they're just walking down the street. They're just, they're, we're in the train station and um, one of the guys, Mike Moore, he, he, he got up close and personal with one of them and they were, there, they were like in a stare down. And, uh, but they're not, they're not violent. This one bull was like cruising from trash can to trash can and they can just walk right by you. Because they believe those animals are sacred. And so you're not allowed to harm them. And if you're driving on the street and the animals cross, or go, you, just, you have to stop and let them go. And in Egypt, it was something similar to that. And so God is testing the Egyptians. He's attacking their very economy. Wanting them to repent. And these are simple truths that we learn as Christians. That when God, you guys know this, when God wants to get your attention, God's a good God. He'll get your attention, you know, little by little. And he'll try to draw you in. He'll use people. Whether you believe it or not, he'll use your boss at work. <laughs> he'll use your husband or your wife. He might even use your ex-husband or your ex-wife. He might use your children. God's testing. God's trying to get your attention. He might use your parents. You're a teenager. Well, he will use your parents. God's trying to get your attention. Here, God is trying to get Pharaoh's attention so that he would repent. Now, in verse 4, it says, And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Verse 5, Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So in verse 4 and 5, we see two things. God wants to make a distinction. He doesn't want Pharaoh to be able to see there was a disease and all the animals died. He wanted him to see all your animals died. That my children's animals, the Hebrews, they were fine. All your animals died. And then he said, and I'm going to do it tomorrow. God calls it out. I'm going to even tell you when I'm going to do it and how I'm going to do it and who's going to get it done. That's the God that we serve. Everything he does is for appointed for a reason. We have to believe the scriptures. For all things work together for good. For those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. We have to believe those. The Bible is not, as I've heard, a salad bar. 
right? And a salad bar is awesome. You have 50 different selections, and you get to pick and choose which ones you want. The Bible is not like that. We can't pick and choose which verses we can follow. All things work together for good, for those who love God, for those who've been called according to his purpose. But you don't understand, my, my uncle has cancer. You don't understand, I lost someone close to me years ago. You don't understand, I've been looking for work now for going on almost a year. You don't understand, and you can fill in the blank, and God sees that. God cares. God has a plan. Remember when uh, Jesus was hanging out with the disciples? One of the things he constantly told the disciples, where's your faith? (laughs) Oh, you little faith, that's me. That's us. God is constantly challenging us because he wants to bless us. He wants to use our life for his glory. Someone told me a long time ago, um, whatever you can possibly think in the future that God could possibly do with your life, imagine that for a second. And we, he had us do this. And then he said, whatever it is that you thought, it's not even close. It's so far beyond that. And that's so true in my life. That's so true in Christians who walk and serve the Lord. There are so many amazing things that he has done. So we see now in verse 6, it says, So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became soft and he repented. No, it doesn't say that. It says the heart of Pharaoh became hard and he did not let the people go. Now, you might know some people like this, right? No matter what happens that God gets their attention, it seems like it makes it worse. And they seem to draw farther and farther away from God. But what is God's plan that we saw in verses 2 to 7? The backdrop is God's people are suffering, and it doesn't go unnoticed. God sends a savior, Moses. God gives the command, let my people go. God gives the Pharaoh a choice. God brings devastation on the rebellious Pharaoh and the people. God makes a distinction between those who believe and those who don't. God calls the time when it will happen. And yet the purpose for this is to deliver them from oppression. Getting Israel out of Egypt. That's the goal. I want my people out of slavery. And that's God's goal for us. He doesn't want us to be caught with sin. He doesn't want us to trip and fall and stumble over those things that we put in front of us. There are people watching us. We have family, we have children, we have grandchildren that are watching our lives. And if there's sin in the home, then there's going to be problems in the home. If there's sin in the marriage, if there's things that have gone unrepented, if there's compromise, then it's, it's going to come out. The Bible says your sin will find you out. And I've experienced that too. Your sin will find you out. And what does God desire? Repent and go the other way. I was talking to a young guy the other day, and uh, he is going through a lot of difficult times. He's not a Christian, doesn't come to church, 
Um, his parents go to church, and uh, he's, he just got arrested for hitting his mom. He spent a couple days in jail. They let him out. Now he's back home, and the mom is scared. And he's, out, he's back out on the street. He's living back at home. And I just got to talk to him for a little while, invited him to church. And one thing I just told him, try to keep things simple, I said, picture your sins and the things you're doing wrong as that mountain right there. And it was in the city of Duarte and pointed to the foothills. I said, but when, when you repent, repent means to turn around and go the other direction. I said, imagine yourself turning around, doing a 180, and beginning to head away from the mountain. And one step at a time, you begin to walk in another direction. You begin to walk toward God. And little by little... As you turn around, that problem, that sin, gets smaller and smaller and smaller. The farther you walk, one step at a time, walking with God, until one day, who knows when, you'll be so far, you'll turn, and the mountain will be gone. God will have washed and cleansed your sins as you repented, as you turned, as you walked in a different direction. And it doesn't feel like it the first day or the first week, but it'll happen. And that's the hope that God gives us. This plague that was a disease brought on their livestock, their livelihood, their economy. So when I saw that word economy, God affected Egyptians' economy, I couldn't help but to think just in general, like, Lord, what about our economy? Are there things you're doing or allowing in our economy that happen, has, have happened as a result of, as a nation, our rebellion against you? And, you know, sometimes it's hard to specifically say, yeah, that's, that's what God's doing. But sometimes it's hard not to, right? And so I looked at some statistics that were just interesting. Um, you know, okay, let me just read what I have in my notes. In 1913, the national debt was $2.9 billion. Woodrow, Wilson, uh, Woodrow Wilson, these are all presidents, he added $21 billion. Warren Harding actually subtracted $2 billion. Calvin Coolidge subtracted $5 billion. Those are the only two positive presidents that lowered our national debt. Herbert Hoover, Herbert Hoover added $6 billion. Franklin D. Roosevelt added $236 billion. Harry Truman added $7 billion. Dwight Eisenhower, $23 billion. John Kennedy, $23 billion. Lyndon Johnson, $42 billion. Richard Nixon, $121 billion. Gerald Ford, $224 billion. Jimmy Carter, $299 billion. Ronald Reagan gets a new record here, $1.8 trillion. George H. Bush, $1.5 trillion. He didn't want to be shown up. Bill Clinton, $1.4 trillion. George Bush, W. Bush, $5.8 trillion. And Barack Obama, $7.9 trillion. So we have a total of $19.9 trillion, trillion dollars in national debt. It's like a giant credit card. So our country is running on a giant credit card, just, which is, makes sense because every time we buy something, we just swipe it, right? And so we see even our own economy is God allowing these things to happen in our country. One more statistic here. Social Security pays $888 billion last year, and that's related to age, to uh, death and providing families when people have died and the pensions still continue Disability, $900 billion in health care for elderly, low-income families. $602 billion for war, military and war. 
And we see this go on and on. We see it happen to the Egyptians, and we see it's happening to our nation as well. When this ended in verse 7, we saw that Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not listen to God, that he was stubborn. Let's move on to verse 8. We look at the next plague. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So this sixth plague was sent like the third plague. The third plague was physical pain. Third plague was, we don't see it here, but it was actually lice. Lice infected the nation of Egypt and every Egyptian. And that's why, one of the reasons I learned, that's why Egyptians in history, you see them, they shave their heads and they're all about cleanliness to avoid lice. And so that's why I will never struggle with that. And some of you here. Uh, And so we see the Egyptians suffered in the third plague with lice, but now with the sixth plague with boils, blisters, pussing boils and blisters. Nasty, painful. And it was happening to the Egyptians on this plague. The plague was not in a way of mere annoyance, as with earlier plagues, but of serious injury and possibly death. They didn't know if they were going to live or die. Now, it's interesting what Moses did. In verse 9, he specifically told to take fine dust in the land of Egypt and to scatter it, actually in verse 8, toward the heavens. Now, listen to this. Um, This was a direct challenge to the Egyptian gods, especially the god called Nyet or Nit. This god or goddess bore the designation of the great mother of the highest heaven. She was seen as the creator of earth, and she had a son named Ra, and he was the sun in the sky. That was her son, Ra, the sun god, as connected with the scattering of the ashes. So what they would do is they would take human sacrifices. They would take foreigners or slaves, the Hebrew people. They would take human sacrifices, burn them alive on an altar, and as the, the, the flames consumed their body, their ashes would fall. And then this priest would take the ashes as the human sacrifice, and they would throw the ashes in the air, and they were hoping that this goddess, that it would appease her, and then she would protect the land, and that she would keep evil away from the land. So that's what they believed, and that's what they did. So people were being killed, people were being sacrificed, and they were, some of them were God's people. So what does God do in direct response? Hey, Moses, go over to that furnace where they do human sacrifices, take some of their ashes, and throw them up in the air. Like, throw them in the face of their God. Throw them in the face of the Egyptians who've been killing my people. Throw them in the face of Pharaoh. But you're not going to bring down a blessing. You're going to bring down a curse. And the Egyptians will suffer boils, sores. They're going to endure the pain that my people endured. And they're going to see what it's like. This is God, right? We hear every Sunday, Wednesday, you read your Bible. Jesus is love. Jesus is forgiving, grace, mercy. But this is how God dealt 
with his enemies in the Old Testament. And God can deal with that way with anybody at any time. This can be a difficult truth, but I guarantee you this, if you can get past this truth, your life will be blessed, your understanding of God will be blessed. And it's simple. God can do, and some people might not like to hear this, God can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, with whoever he wants to do it with. He has the right, as the supreme God and creator of our universe, our planet. But before you get upset, remember what he did with his son Jesus. Remember what he did when he took a human form. When he was born as a child, he was born in a manger, he was born in a poverty. And he lived a life, a perfect life. And the very people he came to serve were the very people that turned on him, arrested him, spit on him, beat him, whipped him, and then hung him on a cross. That's the God that I know. That's the God that you know. That's the God of love. And the Bible tells us if he was not willing to withhold punishment from his own son as a sacrifice, how much more will he bring punishment to those who refuse to receive his son? It only makes sense. And so we see God dealing with these Egyptians, dealing with Pharaoh in a very dramatic way, right in the face of their gods. On my notes, I have this had been done in the days of the shepherds in the worship of Sutek, or another god was Typhoon. The victims were usually foreigners, perhaps often Hebrews. After being burned alive on a high altar, their ashes were scattered on the, in the air by the priests in the belief that they would avert evil from all parts wherever the ashes were blown. The sprinkling of ashes by Moses then is symbolic of the laying of a curse upon the people. The disease the Egyptians endured was painful, tortured in their bodies. They were receiving in themselves, like Romans one twenty seven says, the recompense of their own error which was met. The whole head was sick, the heart was faint, from the sores on the foot to the crown of their head. There was no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and petrifying sores. And we see that if you go to verse 10, it says, Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven. And they caused boils that broke out in sores on man and beast. Notice verse 11. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So little by little, Pharaoh is becoming more and more alone. Not even his magicians are standing next to him anymore. And Pharaoh's heart is soft and repentive? No, it gets even harder. I remember um, this man that I met years ago, and I met him uh, in a, at another church. He was in a, a drug and alcohol. He was leading the drug and alcohol ministry. And he was sharing how, um, how he got saved, a little bit of his testimony. He was saying he got four years in prison. And two years into his prison term, he became a Christian. He became a pr- Christian while he was locked up. 
And so at those two years, he said it was, it was awesome, like a, a light went on. He, he received God's love, God's forgiveness. And he said he understood now, God, all the things he had done that had been wrong. And he felt so bad, but now he had Christ. And so he prayed in his prison cell and he said, Lord, I, I understand. I, I want to get out of here now. Like, get me out of here. I don't need to be here anymore. I, I see the light, literally. And he said, God answered him. And God said, no, <laughs> you're going to do the four years. And at that moment, imagine what he's thinking. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that to me? I'm saved. I understand what I did was wrong. Why would you keep me in here? Don't you love me? Don't you take care of me? Want to take care of me? Those are the kind of things, right, that attack us in life. Well, he went on to say that he was now at this point grateful and thankful that God didn't let him out after two years. He said, because those next two years in prison, he said, that God began to break him of his pride, began to break him of his stubbornness, began to break him of his selfishness, began to break him of his addictions, began to break everything about him till there was nothing left. And when he got out of those four years, he was ready to serve the Lord. He was humble, and he wanted to serve. So when these things happen in our lives as Christians, we can wait because maybe God is breaking us to make us better. So we can become better uh, Christians, not bitter Christians. There's a big difference. You can become bitter or you can become better. And we see the intention with Pharaoh, and yet his heart was continually hard. Let's look at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart, and on your servant and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. That's a beautiful verse right there. God wants the Egyptians to know there is none like me, and God wants us to know. Verse 15, now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you with your, and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. You know what God's saying here to Moses to tell Pharaoh? If I would have done to you kind of what I wanted to do to you, you wouldn't even be alive, okay? But I've been patient with you. If God deals with us the way we deserve, we wouldn't be here. But God is merciful. God is gracious. God is kind. God is loving. God is love. And for that reason, we are here. Right? We are here on a Wednesday night, worshiping God. Um, I, I've said this many times, that the youth are here. The young people are here worshiping God. And I, and I got to say this, I have said, if, if, if you can't worship God, you're a Christian, and you can't worship God, when the young people are here worshiping God, then you got problems. Because if the youth are standing up here with the temptations they face every day in school and in the world and the attacks of Satan that constantly come against our youth and yet they're here on up here or they're in the audience singing, then how much more should we as adults sing and praise the Lord? 
that they might see our hearts. And so what are we, we're here. We're here worshiping our God on a Wednesday night. And so may God bless you for being here. May you bless your families and your children, your workplaces and your health, your finances, as you trust in him and as you walk in him. We see that God's desire is for the Pharaoh and the Egyptians to repent. And so he continues, verse 16. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people, and that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. So this is the seventh plague now. This is the hail. Verse 19. Therefore send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field. For the hail shall come down on every man, every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. Now, one of the things I've learned too as a Christian is there's always two ways to see scripture. You're going to have someone look at the scripture and say, Why would God do that? Why would he send hail down to kill people and animals? What did they do wrong? And then you're going to have other people that look at the scripture and say, wait a minute, didn't you read? The scripture says if you remove the people and the animals and take them to a place of shelter, then they won't be killed. So you're going to have people what? Be rebellious. Okay, well, that doesn't seem fair to me. I'm not going to move one of my animals inside. God wants to do that. He's going to have to do that. But we see God's grace and mercy here. These are, can be difficult for people to believe, these plagues. So this afternoon, I decided to, uh, to walk down Myrtle and ask a couple people, just strangers on the street, and just ask them. So I went, uh, went to Coffee Bean so I can get my caffeine going first. And then I began to walk down Myrtle lady was coming out of her car right there next to Coffee Bean. I said, excuse me, ma'am, can I ask you one question? I go, I'm a pastor. I'm going to be teaching tonight in the book of Exodus. I don't know if you know about that book. Um, but you know the story about Moses and the Ten Commandments. And, and she's looking at me. And I go, you know, Charlton Heston, the movie. She's looking at me. I said, Moses. She goes, okay. Oh, yeah, Okay. I said, do you happen to believe the stories and and the plagues that God... She goes, I don't really know the story. I go, God brought plagues against the Egyptian pharaoh for being rebellious, and they were slaves. And she says, "Uh, yeah. She goes, no, I don't really believe that. She goes, you know, I like to keep an open mind. And she goes, but I am a secretary at a church. (laughs) And I said, oh, that's great. You know, God, God bless you, you know. And that was, that's all I kind of had intended was just to ask the question. She goes, oh, yeah, you're welcome. I'm walking away thinking, you have an open mind, but yet you close the Bible. Okay. So then I went to another person, and uh, there was this guy by himself, and I said, same thing. Can I ask you a question? He looks at me a little strange, and um, kind of looked like Jeff a little bit. Uh, <laughs> true. Uh, <laughs> It's not a bad thing. And uh, looked like he was a little bit mad, but I said, um, I asked him, if you, <laughs> the Exodus question, Moses and the miracles, and uh, he said, are you asking my advice or are you asking my opinion? 
And I said, uh, I'm asking your opinion. And then he looked at me, and I was like, oh, man, what's he going to do? Because he looked like something was, was going to come. And this is what he said. I had to write it down. He said, I am a mighty earth-shaking, history-making, mountain-moving, giant-killing, demon-stomping, water-walking, son of God, heir of God, and joint heir with Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's what he said. Like I said, it sounded like Jeff. (laughs) And you can imagine me, we're inside the store, and I'm like... Because when he, he was going through half of it, I wasn't really hearing. I, I heard something about a demon. And honestly, I have to be honest with you, I thought he was like a devil worshiper. Because I, I didn't hear anything about God. I heard demon. And I'm like, what did I get into? I'm going to try to cast somebody, something out. But then at the end, it sounded pretty good. And uh, he shook my hand. And he said, I love the Lord. I love him so much. And I just, so it's cool. I, and he goes, what are you doing again? And I told him, and he goes, that's so cool you're out here. I can see, the, you know, I can see the love, man, and what you're doing is so cool. And maybe we can talk again. Here's my number. Hit me up, you know. And I was so encouraged to have met a guy like that. And he was so on fire, and he wanted you guys to know. And, uh, and so I asked him, I go, I go, what did you say earlier? I go, that was crazy. And he started laughing. And he goes, I got this from a certain place on the internet website. He goes, I heard it, and I had, to, I had to memorize it. And I go, where is it? And so I actually had to go back and replay it like 10 times and write it down. And that was awesome. And so then uh, I walked to the park, and I asked a guy, um, excuse me, sir, can I talk to you quick? Yeah, I go, okay, I'm a pastor. I'm teaching sign in the book of Exodus. And um, he was out there with his little puppy and, and his son. And um, let's see, I said... Um, do you believe the stories of Exodus and the miracles, God and Moses? And uh, he goes, no, I don't, I don't think so. I go, um, do you ever read your, you ever read a Bible? He goes, well, yes, yeah, sometimes. And then he goes, well, actually, I don't. I don't know why I lied right now. And he goes, I, I don't. <laughs> and I go, that's cool. I go, well, I see you're wearing a cross. And he goes, oh, yeah. I go, that's cool. That's cool. He goes, well, you know. He goes, you know, I kind of, I'm kind of with like the Catholic thing. I go, oh, the Catholic thing. I'm just trying to make, you know, that's good. That's a good start. I mean, the, the going to Catholic church, that's a good start. And he goes, well, I don't really go to church. <laughs> and uh, I go, so man, he's like backtracking. And I go, so then I just said, that's cool, man. I go, that's right. I go, just uh, if you have a Bible, get a Bible, start reading it. I said, it's never too late to do what's right. And I, said, I could just picture it, you know, his little boy was right there. I'm just thinking, man, if it's never too late to do what's right, if you only knew. And then I said, you know, God bless you. That wasn't, you know. And then uh, I talked to one more person. Um, now I can't remember who that person was. Um, oh, yeah, so then I talked to one more person, and that was a blessing too. He said, I go to church. I go, oh, cool. He goes, yeah, and he goes, you know what? He goes, I'm struggling in my marriage, but our church is having a new marriage ministry. And I'm pretty excited about going to that. And I just encouraged him. I said, hey, brother, go, man. I go, it's going to change your life. Stay plugged in. Read your word. I said, read your word. I go, that's what changed my life was actually reading my word, studying the word was what changed my life. To fall in love with God's word. And then I fell in love with who God is. And then you want to begin to serve the Lord. And so that was an encouragement, right, of the four people I talked to, um, 
Three of them were Christians. One was confused. Um, but I'm hoping, I, but I prayed for him. When I left, I felt like a tug, like, you know, you should have said more. You should have witnessed to him. You know, you should have dragged him here to church, whatever. You know, like those thoughts. But I prayed for him. I prayed that God would do a work in his life and that God would remind him to pick up his word. So that was a blessing. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word tonight. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, Lord. Um, We kind of joked earlier, Lord, about, you know, making church fun again. Um, But that was fun. That was fun for me, Lord, just to go out and to do that. I was nervous, but it was fun. And uh, Lord, cause us to do things outside of our comfort zone, just to be a blessing to you, Lord, to let people see this beautiful message that we have of hope, of redemption, your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. And Lord, he's coming back again soon. And you've been teaching that now for 2,000 years in your word, Lord. He's coming back soon. And so now, people, is not a time to waste time. It's not a time to compromise. It's not a time to be in sin. It's not a time to play games with God. God's calling you. God wants to use your life. God wants to bless you. God wants to fill your heart with joy. God wants to forgive you of all your sins. And God wants to use your life to reach many people for the kingdom. Um, We serve a good God. And all he desires is for you to confess that you're a sinner and that you need a savior. Pretty simple. Confess you're a sinner and that you need a savior. And if you feel like God has spoken to you tonight and you feel like you need to say that prayer, uh, then I'm going to ask you if you would stand to your feet, that you would just, with your feet, you push on the ground, and when you do that, you'll pop up, and God will see that you're taking a stand for him. When Jesus called people in the New Testament to himself, he always called them publicly. He always wanted them to make a declaration that if I'm willing to die for you, then you definitely would be willing to stand for me. Standing today can be easy. One day we may have to stand as Christians and may have to give our life as Christians. There are many people around the world that are giving their lives as Christians every day. And so if you're standing today, tonight, then just pray with me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. I confess I've sinned against you. I ask you to give me your Holy Spirit to make me a new person. And I ask you to use my life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys, man. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.